Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey everybody, welcome to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers along with my friend and partner, John Carlton. How's it going, John? I'm pissed off. You are pissed off today. <laughs> this all started yesterday. We were having a, a casual conversation at first, and um, we got on the subject of yeah motivation and, and uh, very common uh, traits of the, the lazy human in, here in 2015. And you really got heated up talking about uh, the thing that got you going was people who go out of their way, the lengths they will uh, go to avoid taking the next obvious step in life. You know, it, it, it was a, a, a yet another seminar I was at where some of the most common questions and I was I, I was spending an extended time on stage and there was time for Q&A, which is not always the case at seminars. But people I meet at seminars and the most common questions that come up from seminars whether they are directly about taking the next step in life, it is, it, I can often tell just by the way the person is talking, holding themselves and moving through life, I guess, even in that brief window of meeting them for the first time. And within seconds, it, this, this comes screaming to me because I see, I've seen it so often. I want to I grab them by the lapel, slam them up against the wall and threaten their lives until they go home and actually take a proactive next step in their career or their life or, or whatever. And it's the, the thing that pisses me off is that, A, that shouldn't be, that isn't my job to con conduct other people's lives. I haven't done such a great job with my own life, but I do know that there are are certain ways to get where you want to go. And I have, you know, I, I have not attained every goal I've had. I, I haven't, you know, I, I, I've hit a few okay points in my life. I've done a few things that, that I set out to do and I'm pretty damn proud of myself. But I also have that Zen feeling of you can't be too proud of yourself because, you know, there's a lot, I, I know the inside story to myself and it's a, it's a wayward tale of full of, you know, going down rabbit holes and blind dark alleys and huh. making huge mistakes. And, I, you know, I wake up in the middle and I think about times I was humiliated 20 years ago and I remember finally what, you know, or I think of what I should have said then. And, and even more more important is I think about people I've hurt uh, over, mm. over the years and that and that it still bugs me. So mm. life is this process of going through and figuring out what you've done right, what you did wrong and figuring it all out. So at a certain point, certain obvious truths become evident. And anybody who's been to a marketing seminar or dealt with a guru or in an email exchange or been on a teleseminar or anything, the one recurring theme of anybody's life who has accomplished anything is you figure out what the next step is mm. and then you take it mm. and it, you know uh, uh, you know kevin you've been involved on the inside when we've done like the um 
uh, the, the the seminars from the Simple Writing System. Yeah. Well, oh, we call them action, action seminars. seminars you know? right. so, For that reason. And, yeah. and the reason Stan and I chose that name was because we wanted to make them action oriented. And, you know, we go up there and we talk about, you know, to seminar people, you are not going to go home with 100 ideas that you can implement. At best, you will have one or two ideas that stick with you when you get home on Monday. Mm. And if you don't implement them immediately, they will probably fade into a, that stack of notes you have on your bookshelf that's now getting to be five, six, seven years old, and you haven't acted on any of it. So better to pick one thing, do it, mm. and suffer the consequences, right. see what the results are, decide, well, that was a that was a blind alley. I got to back myself out of this one now and go take another road, yeah. but at least keep moving. And, you know, it seems simple and it is simple. And that's why a lot of people skip over it a lot. Like when they're presenting their own version of, of how to get from point A to point Z, or even, you know, you start with going to point B. Mm -hmm. You know, if 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 just to just mm -hmm. to, to jump ahead to one of the points we talked about yesterday, yeah. if you're standing at, let's say, point A, you're standing and you want to get across the room or down the hall, or maybe your goal is to move out of the neighborhood and get to a different place, you don't transport yourself Star Trek wise, <laughs> you know, from where you're at to right. where you want to be. You what what happens is you need that first step, and and you can't be worrying about the third or the fourth step until mm -hmm. you figure out what that next step is. So some of the best advice anyone can get is what the next step is, and a lot of people just don't want to hear that. They 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 you know yeah 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 I'll I'll take care of the details of getting from here to point five. But what happens when I'm at point five? That's what I want to know about. You know I I have people talking to me who haven't written their first ad yet. They want to. Mm -hmm. Talk about how to deal with fame when it when it ah. starts to crush them as a copywriter, dude. You're not there yet. Let's let's worry yeah. about that when you get close to it, when it comes up on the horizon. So <laughs> right, or yeah, they're worried about uh, how they'll get paid before they've validated themselves uh, enough to and, charge. You know, and you know that that's actually a great point because that's overthinking the matter. Yeah, get paid first. And you know, you know, if if you start thinking about it, nobody who's earned money doing something like in, in freelance copywriting without having some problems at first that they got to work through about getting paid, saying how much they're worth, coming to all these terms. You know, Kevin, I think the wounds are still fresh in your mind of rising from a uh, from essentially a middling position as as a freelance copywriter to a guy who's now telling other copywriters what to do. That was a very short ride for you. Mm. Uh, a, a couple of years, so yeah. this, the wounds are fresh, which makes you a excellent uh, coach and 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 mentor. Because for a lot of guys, it's it's like giving birth. You want to forget that the painful parts as <laughs> right. fast as possible yeah. and yeah. revisiting them is the last thing you want to do. Yeah. But for the good teachers, you know, revisiting them is exactly what the job is. Right. It's it's like yeah, I, I remember, I recall, I have visceral memory. I I think that's been my advantage is I have visceral. Mm emotional memory that seems to be better than most people. And I can remember what it felt like to get that first check, to get that first rejection. Yeah. I, I remember sitting on the phone trying to get my first date as a teenager. I remember details of mm. the of the phone cord winding as I'm trying to stretch it to get out the back door to have a modicum of privacy <laughs> in my little 700 square foot house with five people in it. You know. <laughs> 
and and I remember that, and I remember the wounds and the joys and the tribulations and all parts of it. And you know, I you know, it's taken me sometimes forty years, but I I keep learning lessons from that. And part of the lessons is how to translate that to someone else. And no, I can't make it any less scary for someone else, but I can help them see what the next step is because most of us see up to the step we're at, we're we're mid step, we're almost there, and we're consumed with that. And it's like, how many times have you been afraid to do something like jump into a pool? That's been my favorite metaphor. You jump into the pool, you know, yeah, it's cold, but how, how quickly do you get over the cold? It's like seconds, right? you know, and, and it's like most people spend their lives, not most people, a lot of people, the people who infuriate me, um, because there are echoes of myself in this. I see this in myself that I've done this and I had the bad, I had the same battle over and over and over again in my life and career was the difference between a guy walking up to a pool and and bothering everyone already in the pool by asking him, how cold is it, how deep is it, <laughs> gee, are you having fun? And just, you know, and, and maybe you stick your toe in it or whatever, and, yeah. you know, and then at some point you just gotta, you know, and, and trying to get in slowly is yeah. fine. You know, go ahead and go down the steps and do that. You're just increasing, you know, it's still gonna get to your belly button at some point, and your, your uh, you know, your balls are gonna shrivel up into your body. <laughs> And you know, that's going to happen. But, you know, do you want to be in the pool or do you not want to be in the pool? So make it's OK to make the decision. You know what? Yeah. It's it seems like it's too cold. and I don't want to get wet. I don't want to get my hair wet. I ain't going in. Fine. That's yeah, a decision. But, but get and away from back, the edge. Yeah. Get away from Quit the standing edge. over yeah. us, you weirdo. Yeah. And st- yeah, stop bothering people. Already. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the best ways you find to, to get into the pool is jump in the damn pool. Just yeah. jump in. But until you do that and you realize that you're not going to die from the shock of the cold because there's our already other people in there it's I, I think back to the ocean you know going to the ocean even in in june or july down in southern california it's still really cold it is it is suck the life out of you cold when the first wave hits you but if you go in dive in into the first wave and, and get up it's over in literally seconds you, then your body adjusts because it's not you know going to kill you kind of cold it's just really cold yeah and you may shiver a bit and stuff but then you're swimming around and it matches and everything's fine and you know this and you still have to go through that moment of of, of entry over and over yeah. and over every time you get into the ocean just get past it it's not that big of a deal unless you make it a big deal yeah. And of course, what 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 has pissed me off the most about this is early in my career, working with Halbert, there was a guy in the circle of people in Los Angeles that we know. I'm not going to name him, but uh, Halbert actually pointed him out to me as a cautionary tale. And this is before he actually made it not just a cautionary tale, but a celebrated cautionary tale. And this guy was one of these self-help junkies who loved to go to seminars and work stuff. And he was very proud of knowing Halbert and got all these plans together to get a, a business going. It, it was the equivalent of probably putting on a Broadway or let's say an off-Broadway show. He had to put a number of, of ducks. He had to get a number of ducks lined up legally, uh, uh, situationally, financially, uh, organizationally, uh, just the machinery of getting this business thing to launch. He had it all lined up and he refused <clears throat> to essentially let the curtain go up. Mm. <clears throat> and that and that metaphorically became Halbert and my um, code word for another one of those guys who is never going to take that that next step. And they're, they're afraid of success. You know, they, we weren't sure what the psychoanalytic shit going on in their brain was, but they were 
kind of afraid of success, but they weren't even at that point. They were just afraid of the action starting. It was like up until the curtain goes up, they were kind of comfortable with the chaos of getting it all together and dealing with, they knew that. Once the curtain goes up, then- The unknown. I, well, it was unknown, but it was also kind of known because a lot of it had to do with judgments. They were going to open themselves up to judgments, to the results of the universe. There was no yeah. longer a way to talk, to to use excuses, to say, well, you know, it might work, it might not work. Gosh, what if, what if the New York Times... Uh, you know, a critic doesn't like our show. Well, you know, you know that's happened before. He's a he's a son of a bitch, and he may not like it. Right. You know, but then if that's so huge in your life, then what are you doing trying to put on a show that's going to be reviewed by the harshest you know critic on the planet right. and possibly crush your hopes and dreams and stuff? This is why sociopaths rise so far in business and in the arts. It's because they don't care. Right. So one of the tactics that the people who do care have to adopt is that semi-sociopathic uh, tactic of not caring. And even if you care, and we all care, all normal non-sociopaths like us, mm -hmm. we do care about being critiqued. And so I would prefer the world to love me without hesitation and for everyone to get in line. But there's going to be trolls. There's going to be people who don't like me just because they need somebody to not like. And there's going to be people who genuinely have differences with me. Yeah. And I have to kind of put on my I don't care hat. Even though I do care, I have to have tactics for dealing with that. And one of the ways to deal with that is to put it into uh, put it into perspective, you know, which gets back to jumping into the water. There's no way I can make it okay for you to jump into the pool and not have that cold shock that you're going to have unless we warm the pool up and you never get beyond going into the hot tub kind of thing. And that's fine. You're going to be that guy, but you're not going to engage in the stuff that's happening in the pool. And if all the action's happening in the pool, then you got to get past this idea of that shock. Just just do it. Yeah. You know, we, we put ourselves out there. When, you know, when you deal with... Direct re the difference between direct response copywriters and non-direct response copywriters is the fact that in direct response, you get results. You put an ad out there and yeah. there's all this period of, wow, that's a brilliant ad. Well, you know, it's it's well-written and it's fun and it looks pretty good and we're all thinking it might work. It still has to work in the real world. So right. you put it out there and the results come back and, you know, there's all kinds of things can go wrong. It went to the wrong list. It got sent to the junk folders. If, if it was an email or in the mail, maybe the mail got intercepted and Chicago and the postman just threw it all in the trash. All kinds of other things can happen. But once you get past all of that and it really did go out or ran in a newspaper and the results didn't come in, then it's like, okay, that failed. You know, we fail sometimes. Yeah, in this. We yeah. have to face that. Non-direct response copywriters who, you know, Madison Avenue, essentially, who never ask for a result so it can't be measured, yeah. have all kinds of excuses about why their latest, you know, uh, ad for Jack in the Box or Ford or whatever did or didn't work. I mean, they, they say, look, at the end of the year, did your sales go up? That's because of our ad campaign. You know, sales went down. Well, it wasn't because of our ad campaign. It was because, you <laughs> know. In spite of our ad campaign. Yeah, somehow. Spite, yeah. yeah. Thank God it didn't go lower. You know, it's like, and, <laughs> and it's like they're guessing. And when you're in that world of guessing or just saying, well, what could happen? You know, that's that before the curtain goes up. Once the curtain goes up. Yeah. They're going to applaud or they're going to walk out or some middling in-between thing. You're going to limp along. So, you know, it, it, this this is why it just, I don't know, it just infuriates me when I come across people who want so badly to be a writer, to be an entrepreneur, to be in business, to 
to change their lives. That's what a lot of it comes down to. And they won't take that first step. And of course, what happens is when they come across my path is that I'll tell them what the next step is because I can see it pretty clearly. Whether or not they're on the same path I was on or not, it's not hard to figure out what the next next step is to take in almost any human situation once you have a little bit of life experience. Um, it, it might come down to, you know, divorce him. <laughs> it might come down to you need to move out of that town, you know, yeah. or you need to make this change or you need to do this or whatever. Or there's a there's 20 different things you could do, but you need to choose one and try it and see what happens and, you know, and start to move forward. And people just get scared and freeze up and yeah. they just can't pull the trigger. And it's infuriating because you want to help. You, you actually are helping them with a plan and they are the stopping point. And most of the time, they don't even realize that, that they're that they're doing it, that they're sabotaging their right. own happiness. Yeah. You brought up a great, great point about uh, living behind the curtain and making sure it never goes up. That's an identity you take on. You're the guy whose eyes doing that thing. You know, you see this online. People say, oh, I want to start an Internet business. And their friends and family, at first, it's exciting. They're learning all this stuff. Ah, he's working on the internet stuff. It really sounds promising. And, and, and then and then they get a little tired of hearing of it and still nothing's happening. And then they go, oh my God, are you on that computer again? What is the matter with you? You know, and now it's this thing that in, you've, you, you've now accepted this identity of the guy who's working on it, right? And uh, so, you know, there's something to be said for people who d- maybe don't know what the next step is. I'm sure there's some people listening right now going, you know what, uh, if I knew the next step, I would take it. But the problem in that is that you, like you just said it, John, you got to choose one and go. It's really momentum to me is at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. You know, I've had people inside a copy chief, for instance, who uh, put a lot of energy ter- towards one thing and yeah. have an o- opportunity come up at them from totally out of left field that turns out to be maybe even more promising that they never saw coming and i say i'm i I couldn't be less surprised by this because you've been putting energy out into the world and towards something and 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 to me that's the one magic ingredient in life create momentum keep putting out energy and good things will come to you that's why uh, people will choose to help you to reach out to you to mentor you because they see you trying and they see your passion and the rest almost takes care of itself Halbert used to call it movement. He says movement, I forget the exact quote, but movement solves almost every problem or, or something like that. But the, the idea of movement was to, to pick a direction and move. Don't move blindly and try to get you try to get as much information as you can and be prepared. So don't go walking down blind alleys, you know, hoping that there's nobody there that's going to beat you up right. or rob you. But rather, you know, understand where you're at. And if you are facing a dark alley, <clears throat> then prepare it. I, I wrote about this in uh, Kick-Ass Copyright Secrets, both what you mentioned about the universe rewarding people who move, mm. but also the idea that you don't need to, you know, you, if you're facing the equivalent, the metaphorical equivalent of a dark alley, you don't need to um, just, you know, kind of straighten up and march in there bravely, like, you know, like the, uh, 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 the, the, uh, uh, the light brigade, you know, charging down that valley in, in the, the Crimean war, just, okay, let's go. We're all going to die, but let's go. You know, no, you don't need to do that better. 
to back off and think, what do I need to do to prepare to go down that dark alley? It may take you a while. You, you maybe should learn some self-defense techniques. You maybe should get a concealed weapon permit. Maybe you you bring in a, you know, a, a Goomba, you know, a, a big guy who's going to help you out, who's been down those dark alleys, right. has the scars to show it. And he says, well, okay, here's what you do. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do. Or you know, buy the building next to the dark alley, level it, and then there's no alley anymore. You know, and it's like there's all kinds of ways around it. Some of them, some of them are immediately doable. Others may take time and energy. You may, you may, you know, put that uh, that down on your list. But you need to have these lists. You know, it's like when you find yourself stopped. You know, bodybuilders talk about plateaus. You get yeah. to a certain point, you, your your routines work, and everything's fine. And because this is the way that life in the universe works, you're going to reach a point where suddenly it doesn't work anymore, where you're not <clears throat> building muscle and you're actually losing muscle. You're you're falling back. You're plateauing. And what that means is you got to change everything up. Now, if you've gone through this before, it's just part of your routine is to break up the routine. You know, part of having a routine is knowing this routine is not going to last. Kind of like probably being a stand-up comic at some point you know, the the routine you use literally is no longer going to be viable. Right. Because it's, you know, it's somebody else is going to steal it or it's going to become old or, you know, you don't want to be, you know, the guy doing the same routine on Jimmy Fallon that you just did on Jimmy Kimmel last night. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, by the way, we should talk about why we call this the psych of suck. It's, <laughs> it's when you get to this frozen point in life, and I think everybody has friends and colleagues or people that they deal with, and maybe it's you yourself, you have a point where you're stuck. And stuck equals suck. It's it's just, it's not a good place to be in life. Where, and it's almost always because of the lack of movement, the lack of no, often knowing what the next step is. And there's a, there's a forgivable nature to not knowing what the next step is. However, if you're listening to podcasts like these or you're, or you're following uh, uh, Kevin or myself or anybody else who's out there coaching and helping people, your cover's blown because you can no longer say, I don't know yeah. what to do next. Right. You know what you do next? You make a list of possible things, you pick one, then you do it. Often, number one on your list is you don't know what the next step is. Just knowing that, yeah. Now Admitting suddenly there's that. a whole list. How can I find out? Well, right. I can Google it. I can start asking friends. I can start, uh, you know, um, uh, publicly sourcing my questions. You know, I, I can I can do all kinds of things and start to get little hints. And then uh, then the next step is you take some of those hints and you see where they lead. And some are going to be dead ends, and others are going to lead to other hints. And suddenly it's like a flow chart. It just starts to explode all your options. Right. And suddenly at some point you're going to know what the next step is. Uh, either specifically or at a point where you say, well, I'm going to jump in. The water may be really, really cold or it may be sort of cold or it may be warm. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that I'm going to live through this, so I'm going to jump in. And once you know that, once you know the operational value of, of finding out what the next step is, as much as you can, taking it, even if you're still scared or you're not completely sure what's going to happen, take it because you're not going to get to the step after that until you get through that. You almost always have to go through these interim steps to get where you want to go. Yeah. And that's what, that's what throws people. That's, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, for example, you know, one of the first things that happens when an entrepreneur becomes successful with a simple idea or a simple plan is 
first, they then complicate the fuck out of it. They, <laughs> they, I see this over and over and over again. And in fact, the people in my mastermind group just kind of roll their eyes now when they hear it because they, it's, it's a mantra. It's, it should yeah. be a tattoo in every entrepreneur's mind because entrepreneurs don't make very good uh, business managers. Once you go from right. the entrepreneur of the Wild West, you're th trying stuff, you're doing stuff, and it's all exciting. And then suddenly you got a business, and you got to worry about hiring and firing and insurance plans and dealing with lawyers and stuff. That may not be in your wheelhouse. And, right. you know, that's kind of why, you know, um, uh, what's his name from Apple? Jo Steve Jobs, you know, mm -hmm. actually got fired from Apple. You know, they told him, go away, leave us alone, because he kept wanting to do this entrepreneur stuff. So they invented the intrapreneur. He'd be, you know, he was part of Apple, but they gave him his own team and he wandered off. And, you know, without him doing all that stuff and being corralled and, and them finding a way to use his his advantages without having him screw up the rest of the con uh, company, which he was doing by sometimes pushing things a little too fast. Once he found his groove, that's why, you know, we're I'm talking on an iPhone, looking at a, an iMac yeah. with great user uh, friendly graphics. Uh, you know, the, the, the interface is spectacular HD uh, uh, quality, um, you know, screens and stuff. None of that would have been possible without or none of that would have been possible in the path that the world has taken without Steve Jobs. Uh, doing all that shit, but he was a pain in the ass for the company. He wasn't a good manager of the company. Right. So, you know, it, so for the entrepreneur to know that, that, you know, <clears throat> you may have to experience that first, kind of like learning about money not being the answer to happiness. Money won't make you happy. All money solves is, is the problems that not having money creates. Hmm. Which means that if you're spending your time worried about the rent or being able to not go on a date Friday because you don't have, you know, two dimes to rub together, Suddenly, a lot of those problems are going to be gone if you have more money, if you find a way to make money. However, that doesn't mean the date on Friday is going to be a success and you're going to find true love. And that doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly sit there and think, you know, that you, you're, you know, you've not got the rent paid. That doesn't mean you're happy where you live. You know, you know, you may have another goal now, which you may need to get to, which is move out of this dump, you know, into into, a, you know, better digs. So it, it, I, I think that's, that's part of the, I, this all comes down to fear. This all comes down to yeah. freezing up in fear and that sucks. And, and it's frustrating and it makes me angry when I come up against people who get so invested in their life sucking that they can't even realize it. And, I'm st and now at my age, I'm starting to connect with old friends who made choices like this a very long time ago, 30 mm. years ago, we're talking about. And, you know, I, I've remained friends with them and I'm talking to them, but they're, what they're describing to me with the, the part of their life since they made some early decisions is that their life sucks. It may not suck completely, mm -hmm. but they've, you know, nobody wants to you'd be on their deathbed saying, you know, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. That, that's a funny line. And that's, you know, that's kind of cool. But the other side is, you know, there are people who say, I wish I would have went to Nepal for a year, you know, just hiked yeah. around and done that. But maybe that wasn't it. Maybe it was just any traveling at all. Or maybe maybe what what the problem was, was they just never took a risk. And maybe this talking about that never going to Nepal and running around with a rucksack in their 20s. Mm was a way to describe why they married Susie Q, you know, and instead of maybe going for something different or taking a job offer and when they really wanted to be an entrepreneur or becoming an entrepreneur when they really wanted to settle down with a job and go do other things. Mm -hmm. 
we don't find this stuff out. You, nobody can tell you what's going to please your inner soul except you. And you're not going to find out what's going to do that until you make a whole bunch of mistakes. Right. And kind of start figuring stuff out. How do you know what your type is in, in the love of your life if you don't, you play, know, sample? Sample, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, play the field a little bit. And it doesn't mean you have to go out there and be a promiscuous, you know, partier. But it does mean that you have to use critical thinking. You have to go out there and get the information you have. And what was it about Jimbo, you know, that that you dated back in high school that you don't like now that you like then? What does that say about you? You know, what 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 does this mean in, in your life as a woman? I, I mean, do you you know, I, I've encountered a number of women who wanted kids since, you know, their entire lives and they marry a guy with a vasectomy. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, what, what does this say? I mean, you know, it's OK to sit down and say, you know, it seems like I'm kind of a mess right now. And I'm making choice. What was that book? Uh, Smart Women, Foolish Choices. I never read it, but the title, you know, guaranteed it was going to be a number one bestseller. It's just a great title. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be women. It's smart men, foolish choices. You know, dumb people, foolish choices. You know, and, and it's like, what are the right choices? You, you often can't know until you've had time to look back and kind of fit it into your overall you know overall we're all living our autobiographies and you know right. the, the next chapter isn't written yet so but you can have a hand in writing that and that's a revelation to a lot of people it's like wait i thought you know the future is going to be like the past which was bobbing around like flotsam and jetsam on on the ocean and you know the, the current's going to take you some way well you know you can paddle out of the current i i didn't know that i certainly didn't know that till i was in my 30s that i had a choice in this that mm -hmm. the biggest revelation i had in life was wait a minute i can actually want something and then make a plan to go get it and then put that plan into action are you kidding me why didn't anybody tell me this and it literally took me until i was about 33 years old before it kicked in no goals, no idea what was going on. I was complete flotsam on the ocean of life. Hmm. And that's why it makes me so mad when I see other people doing the same thing. Now, I don't take it out on them because, again, I also, I also understand what it's like to be clueless and lost and on the other side of that revelation, which is, well, I'm kind of frozen up. Life doesn't like me. God hates me. I'm cursed. Hmm. I just can't do this. No, you know, every... every Every time you come up a sentence, uh, you come up with a sentence where you use the word can't, you know, I can't yeah. do this or I can't just change it to won't and yeah. see how that how that sits with you, because that's really what you're saying is not that, you know, I can't learn another language. No, you won't learn another language. That's really what it is, because it's going to be hard. You know, I can't be an entrepreneur. You know, that's, you know, especially in our field, you know, that's not true. You won't be an entrepreneur because you don't you don't want it bad enough or you're not willing to do the things you need to do. You know, now you can't fly. Yes, you can't go outside and flap your arms and fly, but you can skydive. You can, uh, you know, uh, uh, use hang parachutes, glide. Yeah. hang glide. You can do a lot of F. But you, so you got to start breaking it down. What, what do you mean by flying? If you mean fly like Superman, yes, you're never going to fly like Superman. Get over it. Now, what's the next thing? Well, you know, I just really want that sense of being in the, you know, you know how I learned to fly? Scuba diving. Hmm. The, the one thing I realized in a very deep ocean, I, I was down about one atmosphere, I guess. And um, <clears throat> I just kind of relaxed and I let the ocean bob, you know, kind of move me around. Stan was watching me at the time. I think we we're in the Virgin Islands. 
this is like 20 years ago. <clears throat> and um, I, I just relaxed and I felt like I was flying. I could mm. see the very clearly the bottom of the ocean and, and you know, everything was kind of green, but very, very clear. Uh, you, you know, you had unlimited vision under there. And I was just being kind of tossed around. It was very dreamlike. It was mm. like how I dream about flying when I, when I dream about flying. And it was, I realized I'm flying, but, you know, I'm underwater. I'm being, you know, I'm buoyant in, in a water. I had the right amount of weight on my belt so I could balance. And it was just, it, it was beautiful. And I realized what I wanted from those dreams of flying that I used to like, even though sometimes they were terrifying, was a sense of, I don't know, freedom from gravity, I guess. It kind of came down to, it was just, I wanted to feel that. And you know what? I felt it one time. And I didn't have a driving need to go back and make that my life. So I didn't, you know, I think that might have been the last time I went scuba diving, in mm. fact, because hauling the equipment around and stuff just wasn't really worth it to me. I love, I, you know, I scuba dive for years, but then I reached a point where I didn't want to do it. And I'm just realizing right now, I think that point was when I had what I was looking for, that sense of flying. Mm underwater and do you think you that's what drove you to do it in the first place or was that just no a, i think i i got pushed into it by halbert actually uh, uh halbert's son bond and i got certified together in uh uh fort lauderdale and the idea was that you know gary had that dive boat out there we were going to go out and do a lot of diving in the florida keys and you can't do that till you get certified so we got certified took about a week i think and uh, it was fun and uh you know everything was provided for me so it was mm -hmm. the easiest possible way and then i found out it was very very pleasant I, I really liked it but i was doing some of the my first dives in fact my entire diving career for a couple of years was in some of the best diving spots on the planet down in the florida keys mm -hmm. unlimited visibility uh national parks that are actually reefs yeah. down by west um and uh, I never, you know, I started talking to divers here on the West Coast and they'd go out with 10 feet visibility. And, and <laughs> you know, even in Tahoe, I guess it's, it's not that great to dive in. Right. And it's like, I thought, wow, you know, the best diving in the world just kind of got me interested in it enough where yeah. I did it for a few years, but it didn't take. So, yeah, I just, and that's, I just go, had go. that same uh, experience with surfing uh, a few weeks ago in, in Australia hmm? where, uh, it was, James Shrackmo took you out surfing. That's right. And I, I thought that was such a cool thing. It, you know what I like about James is he's just always cool as a cucumber, that guy, right? You know, um, and he's like, oh, no, you'll love it. It'll change your life. And because in my mind, honestly, I'm thinking the whole time, there's no way I'm going surfing. You know, like every time he'd bring it up, it, it, I would, in the in, being honest, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? <laughs> like, you know, what is the consequence of me wussing out on this, right? And then uh, once I got there, it just felt like the most natural thing in the world to do. Yep. He said, "He said, who's surfing tonight? My hand went straight up before I could think twice. And I, I couldn't wait. And then it turned out to be is, is even better than that because I, I, then I thought, well, there's no way I'll get up on the board the first time. <laughs> that, that couldn't be expected. And sure enough, I got up there. And, uh, you know, and so it's a similar thing where your mind, if you pay attention to what your default setting is on certain topics, yep. um, you, you, you can get around it, but you've got to have a conversation with yourself or like we talked about, you know, movement, momentum. The, I think the act of me getting myself to Australia, all bets were off at that point. Everything was a new adventure, right? And so, um, yeah, I think that it kind of comes full circle 
And then, you know, I don't know if I'll ever surf again, but I feel like a different person because I did it a couple of times, you know? Isn't that amazing? You know, when, when whenever I start bitching about traveling, and I've been to Australia from the West Coast, I didn't even have that East Coast to West Coast trip that you had first before right. you get on the eight-hour flight to, to, to Oz. Fifteen, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 15 eight, hours. Eight and then 15, yeah. Yeah. Um, it took you eight hours well, to get Well, two Florida. flights. I mean, eight hours oh, of yeah. travel time. Yeah. yeah, it's a full day. Mm -hmm. But... Um, yeah, I've, I've flown down to Oz, uh, I think, five to four or five times. And, um, uh, you know, it, 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 I kind of obsessed on, on, the, on the traveling part because it's exhausting. I, I do get jet lagged, even though I try all the different tactics and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, but I generally get over it very quickly. So I, I never let that stop me. But, you know, I, I, I kind of knew it was in there. But, uh, you know... It's it, it, whenever I start feeling like a pussy about it, I start thinking about how people traveled back in the Middle Ages and, and stuff. And yeah. there's a great book, I think I mentioned it before, called A Distant Mirror by um, I can't think of her name now, but she's a uh, uh, she was a pretty famous uh, uh, history writer. And she wrote about the distant mirrors about the uh, I think the 14th century, which is. Uh, the period of time in medieval Europe where they were just coming out of the Dark Ages and kind of getting into uh, the Renaissance a little bit. And she just r writes about it in this riveting way. And it, the, she calls it a distant mirror because of how much it mimics our times today, although she wrote it, I think, in the 70s or maybe the early 80s. But uh, it's just fascinating. If anybody's looking for a fascinating read, either, just get a, uh, a distant mirror. It'll it'll teach you a lot. Like you know, Kevin, the word freelancer comes from that period of time. That's what the uh, soldiers were. They they the Black Prince routinely went from England over to France and ha had a major war. And when he when the war was over, whether he won or lost, he'd go back and leave all those uh, soldiers there, and they became freelancers. They either you know fought for various lords or they just formed gangs and went from village to village, robbing and pillaging, kind of like in-house Vikings. Wow. And yeah, so and there's a whole bunch of words and stuff that we use now and concepts about work and the very idea of capitalism and stuff all came from that period of time. Although we, we you know, we, we've largely forgotten it. It was, a, it was a pivot point. It was a plot point in, in modern Western civilization. So right. it's very, very interesting. I forget why I brought it up. Uh, distant mirrors looking in the mirror. Hey, well, whatever. Oh, oh, and, and one of the things that she mentioned was how much people traveled back then. Mm. <clears throat> it was horrific. You know, <clears throat> riding in carriages uh, was was a horrible way to go. It's like imagine the worst road you've ever driven on with all your shock absorbers in your car and stuff. You're bouncing around, your teeth are rattling and stuff. That's a hundred <laughs> times better than what they had back then. Right. And they they would uh, traveling by horseback. You 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 get you get sores. It's it's it hurts your back. It's just horrible. Hauling your stuff, figuring out where your stuff is, getting on a boat for a month to go somewhere. A month. Yeah. On the ocean in a boat that's about 30 feet long and full of people you don't know who, you know, want to eat you and uh, <laughs> and all these pirates out there. And, and you think you could fall off the edge of the earth still. There's all and sea monsters and 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 just death by not knowing that not eating fruit is going to give you, you know, uh, gangrene or yeah. what. 
What is it that? Yeah. And, um, you know, all and yet people travel. It was the rule, not the exception for people that travel a lot. And so I think about that. I think, God, what a wuss I am. I'm getting on this plane. Yeah, right. yeah long trip. But we're up in the air a mile high. Watching you know, TV. With, yeah. Watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, it's like Lewis Black's uh, or, or CK. Uh, who, who was, yeah. yeah. Every, uh, things are amazing. Everything sucks or, or whatever it is. Louis, yeah, Louis, Louis CK. Yeah. Yeah, Louis C.K. would just had a routine back back about flying. He was sitting oh, next right, to a yeah. guy who was saying, "Oh, this sucks because the internet didn't work." Right. He was, You're in a chair flying, you know, through <laughs> the air, you know. <sighs> so, you know, it's like, yeah. So, you know, the psych of suck. Most people, and I think this is one of the reasons that a lot of entrepreneurs, and I know we're we're getting long here, but I think a lot of the reason. A lot of entrepreneurs start to feel a difference with their old friends and their family and feel that separation is because, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, or when you get out there in the business world, risk becomes something you eat for breakfast. It's just, you know, the kind of risks that freeze people up who can't let the curtain come up. Yeah. Uh, become just standard, you know, it's on the menu. Oh, with the, what's today? Well, I got a couple of calls to make. Oh, there's all this risk coming down. We ran that ad, you know, that we're either going to die in a flaming wreck or we're going to be more successful than we've ever dreamed in our lives. So that's this afternoon. And then after that, oh, yeah, I got dinner with Susie and then we're going to see the kid, you know, do a recital, you know, piano. So, and it's, it's like that becomes, you know, and if it fails, well, there's then what's the next step? You know, brush brush yourself off, and we may have to start over. You know, right? That you know, I, I deal with guys like you know Joe Sugarman and Gary Halbert and Jay Abraham and even Dan Kennedy and these guys. And you know, the common stories they talk about is they've all hit rock bottom yeah. after they became successful. Right? They lost it all. They, they it, it, some of them because of stupid decisions, some because of the natural order of things. But because they were entrepreneurs, they just brushed themselves off, off and got back in, you know, back in, into the game. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. So, so the, yeah, the, the idea for me of living, of having this opportunity to live, live and breathe in this world, especially now in the amazing world we live in, yeah. not just with the Internet, but just the, the amazing advances in everything and especially the way American life and uh, Western life in general has started to embrace those those meditative principles of 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 true Western Zen, not not Eastern Zen, not 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 the religious kind of Zen, but the more the the attitude of self reflection, the the uh, you know knowing yourself, you know going going back to the Greeks, it, it's been hard. It's only it's been for elites, you know, to have a sense of wow, life is kind of good, you know, back in. You know, when everybody else was dirt poor and doing stuff in, in, in the modern culture, we do have televisions. We, we have cars. We have ways to drive across the country or drive anywhere you want. We have medical breakthroughs that can that can solve some of the problems. You know, if you had syphilis 100 years ago, you know, you're going to die slow, painfully. Yeah. It's not going to be fun. Now, shot of penicillin, you're you're out of it. Actually, I don't know if that's true for syphilis, but um, it, it, it's a solvable thing. We're, we're fixing a lot of the problems that used to obsess people and end their life. So they had a, more of a sense of purpose that when things were going good, it's going good right now. Uh, let's ride this puppy you know, all the way they can. So a lot of people had very short careers successfully. Mm. And even knowing that before things like Social Security and stuff, they may not be leading such good lives afterwards. Um, you know, the the end of life may not be fun. It, it's right. still not going to be fun for, for most of us. But that shouldn't stop you. 
That shouldn't stop you now. How are things now? What are you doing now? What's going on now and in the immediate, in the immediate future? Right. It's like as a parent, you know, uh, Kevin, you know, you're you're wide awake and aware of the brief nature of of you know this fun part of having your kids around. They're right. not they're not teenagers yet yelling at you and slamming doors. <laughs> let alone going out and marrying the worst possible kid <laughs> oh, they could have. Yeah. You know, and it's just you know you know it's just don't worry about that. Don't you know that shouldn't freeze you up. Life is movement. Yeah. And and not allowing yourself to move, not allowing yourself to to look at what the next step is, and then figuring out what what the consequences are, and then taking that next step. The consequences of not allowing that to be part of your life means you you got a life that's going to suck, and it's not going to change uh, until other circumstances come down. You're going to suddenly get older. Yeah. You know, it's like me in the NBA. You know, I always harbored the idea that maybe somehow I could sneak my way into becoming a professional basketball player. <laughs> you know, and finally now in my 60s, I'm finally coming to grips with the idea that that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so I'm more comfortable with that. I'm never going to probably let it go, you know, because I have fun with it, you know. But right. what if that had been the driving force of my life? Right, right. You know, and it's just at, at you do age out from certain things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it pissed me off when Brett Favre retired because he was the only guy left my age <laughs> at the time. I was like, damn that, it. No, we're, yeah, it's a punter. Is, there might be one punter out there. <laughs> I'm a punter now. Funny. Yeah, you start rooting for the guys just because they're, they're <laughs> the older, old, yeah. or, you know, the, the older, the older, yeah, the halfback. But, you know, that, that I mean, that's the whole thing. And maybe that's every high school basketball coach. Maybe that maybe that's the result of never giving up on the, on the one thing. So, I think there's two big takeaways here. One is uh, don't think about the end result. Think about the next step and take it, really. That's the big thing. You you really hit on something a minute ago. I won't go down another rabbit hole here. But for a long time... Yeah, you will. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Um, For a long time, I had this great anxiety over the idea that I... If I were to not wake up tomorrow, I wouldn't be leaving my family in, in the greatest position, right? I'm the, I'm the sole breadwinner, and I, I hadn't things weren't sewn up, and that that really ate at me because of my previous health issues. I couldn't get good health and in, life insurance and, and all right. these things. I wasn't, and um, I realized it was difficult to do something about it right now because it seemed like a daunting task to overcome. Exactly. And when I finally kind of let that go and said, you know what, all I can do is live right now, be the best dad and husband I can. And, and life's going to have to go on without me one way or the other. And kind of took my, my concern away from it and did start taking next steps into building other stuff. I looked up one day and I went, Hey man, I'm a lot closer to achieving what I set out to uh, since I quit thinking about it, right? So focus on what's, what's the, just the next thing you can do to, to have movement, to have momentum, and, and you'll be shocked and delighted at what you find down that path. And I had a second thing, but before... Well, what you're, what you're talking about, Kevin, is a zone. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. as you were talking, I was thinking about athletes in their zone and also entrepreneurs in their zone. You know... 
it's it's funny you set yourself a goal to get to a more comfortable position where you could take care of your family but then you didn't obsess on it mm-hmm. most of the goals that you're going to achieve that i've found that i've achieved throughout life became unconscious they weren't things that's why i talk about that january 15th letter yeah and you don't need to read it throughout the year just get it down your brain knows it's written down somewhere and your brain is going to kind of recall that stuff and and it may at little minute decision points where do you go left or right Often it's not even that clear. You're at a fork in the road with five choices and four of them actually lead to where you're going and one doesn't. And you're not. And, and those the, the little decisions you make as you go, if it's in your mind that you want to get to a certain point, then you don't make certain choices and you make other choices. And you may not even realize why you're so emphatic right now, you know, on doing this stuff. But it's because you now have a path. You have an idea. You have a goal. You're 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 actually getting somewhere. And you're it's you're on a successful path when you're not obsessing about it. When it's not waking you up in the middle of the night anymore, worrying about that because you're actually taking little proactive steps. You, your mind sounds like it matured a bit. You know, it just it just went to a point where it, it trusts you. Your brain, right. for most people listening to this, your brain probably doesn't trust you right now. Mm. That's why it's looping. That's why it won't let go of memories. That's why it won't, it doesn't think you learned the lesson from Susie Q turning you down in, in the 11th grade for, for the prom. Mm. You know, it you know it thinks you should have learned something about it. So you're going to have that nightmare over and over again until you reach some kind of of res- resolution on it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a metaphor folks. Right. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, once you do start to learn the lessons, it stops becoming this obsession for, for your mind. The, the, the point of being frozen, of not wanting to take a step either because of fear or, or inexperience or whatever it is until you get down into the muck and figure out what it is and start to deal with it because it's part of who you are. Things are going to suck. <laughs> That's gonna be the last words on this this episode. Things are gonna suck. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went way over an hour, so it was just fun. I I, I hope there was some useful stuff in there. That was um, great. Yeah. Um, it, I I really think that the the whole idea of taking that next step and and not obsessing and and not allowing yourself to take on the identity of someone who's working on it. And, uh, <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, those, those, those are the big things we covered here. And there's tons of great nuggets in between. Um, but it, uh, it just, it keeps coming back. The phrase that keeps coming back to me is we're getting the band together again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you know, do you know how hard that's going to be? These guys are scattered all over It's you know, in the blues brothers, you know, and they did right. it. They did it. You know, yeah. Right. Through the magic of script writing, they were able to pull it off. <laughs> Cars <laughs> flying over Chicago, yeah. From, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, All right. Uh, whether or not we leave this and record it or not, we're wrapped. That's a wrap. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah. We may come back to it. Let's let's see if it's if it's something that uh, resonates with people. And um, yeah, I like it. And uh, remember to check out John's blog, uh, john-carlton.com. Come, uh, come check me out at copychief.com. And of course, PI, the number four mm.com is the world's hardest to find uh, <laughs> domain name where we secretly house this podcast. And if you can find your way there, we always love to hear your comments and interact with you inside the, um, the website. So thanks again, John. Um, 
great as always. Looking forward to the next one. And uh, enjoy the day, buddy. Okay. Bye-bye. See you.